see. You've probably heard me say it before, and I'm sure that I'll say it again. We live in a consumeristic society. We live in a consumeristic culture. And what I mean by that is that we live in a place that is driven by markets. It's a bottom-up approach. You can go to the store and you can buy, for instance, let's just say a gallon of milk, but you might not want a gallon, so there's also half gallons, and you might not want 2%, so there's whole, or there's skim, or there's 1%, and there's organic, and there's non-organic, and there's lactose-free, and there's the not lactose-free, the normal stuff, and you can get any variety of brands in any of those different combinations, and if they don't have the exact one that you want at the store that you're at, you can go to another store, and you can get exactly what you want, and there's supply and there's demand, and the stores figure out what sells and what doesn't, and whatever they carry is driven by what you want, and you get, as the consumer, what you want. It's a consumeristic culture. The same thing happens in business. You might have a CEO who's in charge of a company, but even that CEO is driven by the market. It's still a bottom-up approach, even if it's not a democracy per se, even if he's in charge, he still has a board of regents or something like that to answer to. And if the market takes a downturn and the board of regents doesn't like the decisions that the CEO is making, he can very well be fired and they can get a new one, whoever they want, to fit their wants and their desires and their needs. We live in a consumeristic culture a consumeristic society that tells you you can have what you want when you want it. The church is not like that. The gifts that Jesus comes to bring whenever he comes to you this Advent and all the year, all the time, he does not bring to you by way of consumerism. He does not bring you his gifts based on your demand of those gifts. He brings them freely. He does not bring people into his church by them seeking him out and choosing to purchase Jesus this week in whatever form they want Jesus, like you would pick out a gallon or a half gallon or a pint or a quart or a, any kind of milk. But Jesus chose you. He brought you here. He preached to you his word. And he worked in your heart to come and sit in these brown chairs today. You didn't choose him. You didn't purchase him. He purchased you with his blood. And the church does not act like a business in this way either. The church does not hire and fire at its will the right type of CEO for the market in that given time. This is what Paul is talking about today in 1 Corinthians 4 when he says that him, self, and the other pastors, Apollos, 
Cephas, Timothy. You can read the last part of chapter 3 if you want a little more context on this. He says this is how one should regard us, the pastors of the Christian church, not as CEOs, not as those beholden to a board of regents or to a democratic vote, but as stewards, stewards of the mysteries of God. The church is not function like the consumeristic culture functions. We'll start with the stewards of the mysteries of God, the pastors, and then we'll move to the gifts that Jesus brings, the things that Jesus comes to bring to you today. Pastors are not like CEOs. He calls them stewards, Paul does. And if you remember from our last year's stewardship campaign, what is a steward? A steward is someone who is given something to take care of. The steward has real ownership in that thing, but the steward is accountable not to those to whom he stewards the gifts, But the steward is accountable to the master. The steward is accountable to the one who has given him the thing to steward, to disperse, to hand out to others, to take care of in this time. The pastors of the Christian church are stewards of the gospel, stewards of as Paul says here, the mysteries of God. And whenever you come across that word mysteries in your New Testament, you should know that it's not mysteries like we sometimes use the word mystery in English, where a mystery is something that's unsolved, that needs to be solved, or a mystery is something that we don't understand and we're trying to understand. The word mystery in the New Testament is used like this. It is the solved mystery. It is the thing that has been divinely revealed. It is something that we can't comprehend in the sense of mystery, but it is something that we know. Something that Jesus has made known to us. And so if you think about what these divinely revealed truths are, These divinely revealed things that God gives to his pastors to steward to the church are. The church has often taken this word to mean sacraments. The Lord's body and blood in the Lord's supper and the water in the baptism. These are the mysteries, the divinely revealed things of God that he gives to pastors to steward out to his people. But it's also more than that. All of the mysteries of God are all of his word and all of his sacraments that the pastors give to the people. The whole counsel of God, the preached word, the holy absolution, baptism, the Lord's Supper, all of it are the mysteries of God. The things divinely revealed by Jesus in the scriptures to be given to his church. And we are stewards of these mysteries, us pastors. But we are not stewards unto ourselves, 
Stewards are accountable. Notice that there are requirements here. I am not doing this for the salary. I am not doing this for myself, but I am, as Paul says, accountable. And there is a requirement that I be found trustworthy, faithful, not to those who I steward to. It is not a bottom up approach like consumerism, but accountable, trustworthy, faithful to the master. To the one who has given me to steward these things. And that is the biblical definition of pastors. I don't know why we should be afraid of this. In our consumeristic culture, many churches unfortunately downplay the role of pastors because it doesn't fit into that mindset. But you can think about it also in this way, the way that Paul talks about it, not just here in 1 Corinthians 4, but also in Romans chapter 10, where he's talking about the church and those who come to faith. And he says, how can they believe in him if they haven't heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news For faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. The church requires preachers. That's how Jesus set it up. You can wish that he would have set it up in a different way, but that's not how he set it up. He set it up in this way, that he would have men, qualified men. You can read 1 Timothy 3 for the qualifications if you're interested. Qualified men to preach this gospel. To steward these mysteries. This is how he set it up. And the reason I'm talking about this is because Paul talks about it and the Bible talks about it. I'm not talking about it for my own sake. It always does seem a little weird to me, of course, to sit here and talk about myself to you. But nonetheless, as the steward of the mysteries, I preach the whole counsel of God, and that involves the things about the steward of the mysteries. And so I preach to you today, in some ways, about me, but not about me. You should know it's not about me, personally. First of all, salvation is not through me. Salvation is through grace alone, through faith. The faith that comes from hearing the word of Christ. I am the preacher of that word, but I am not the salvation of that word. The salvation is only by Jesus' blood. The salvation is only by faith that the Holy Spirit works in you when you hear the preaching of the word. And second, you should know, as you can see here, that Paul himself denies that this is at all about him. Again, you can go and read the end of chapter 3 for this context, but he says there, At the end of chapter 3, when he's talking about Paul and Cephas and Apollos, because there's this problem in the Corinthian church where some of them are focused on who they were baptized by and not focused on the gospel. And he says, let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men like Paul or Apollos or Cephas, because the wisdom of God... 
the mysteries of God, the word of God, it makes even the wisest men in this age look foolish. You can have the smartest, most bright, most winsome pastor of all time be your pastor, but he is foolish when you compare him to the word. The word is what matters. The word is what gives life. I'm just a vehicle to you for that word. Just a steward. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about my name. Don't worry so much about my personality. Hopefully you don't hate me, but that's okay. Maybe you don't like the beard. I'll shave it off if you really hate it. But that's not what it's about. It's about the word. The word is what matters. The word is what gives life. The word is what is wise, not me. And finally, Paul says here, it's not about him in this way. It's not about him in this way that whenever the Corinthian church, whenever the members of the church look at their pastor and they start to take sides or they start to say, we like this about him or we don't like this about him, he says, none of that really matters. Actually, it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. For I don't even judge myself. There is only one who judges me on the last day, and that is the Lord. And so what I do as your pastor, what Paul did as the pastor to the Corinthian church, the most important thing is that judgment. That he be found faithful in that judgment. And so I say this to you. That I am a servant of Christ. That I am a steward of the mysteries. Not in a consumeristic way. At the voters meeting. We're not going to vote on anything about what we do here at this church. As far as word and sacrament ministry goes. For this reason, that what we do here at this church is all about the mysteries of God. We are not a company that if the market takes some kind of downturn, you're going to fire me and get a new CEO that can keep up with the times. Because what we do here is not about pleasing the market. What we do here is about giving out the mysteries that God himself instituted to give out what we do here is about giving out what you need not just what you may want on a given day and so i say all this to you and remind you what i am for you not as a condemnation to you i should say this you have not ever treated me in this way you have not ever made unright demands of me You have not treated me like a harsh board of regents in a harsh economic market or something like that. I say this to you, one, as a teaching that is in the Bible so that you remember what pastors are for and who pastors are. And I also say it for myself to remind myself what I'm here to give you, because it can be easy To get caught up in things that don't really actually matter that much. 
It can be easy also for me to get caught up in what other people think about me, to get caught up in whether or not they like my personality or not. It can also be easy to get caught up in administrative things, like when I was running around this morning printing off things for the voters meeting, making sure that I had all the administrative ducks in order, so to speak. It can be easy to get caught up in those sorts of things in the church, but that's, at the end of the day, not what the church is about. And it is a good reminder for us, this Advent, about how Jesus comes to us in this way, through his pastors, through the stewards of the mysteries of God. And so hopefully it also then helps you remember that when, if I ever do have to put my pastoral foot down, so to speak, about any given issue, why I am doing what I'm doing. Whenever I lead this church, whenever I give out the mysteries, there is a reason why we do the things that we do. It is so that you can have not just whatever the market wants. We could do whatever the market wants. We could try and put on a big show here that would attract more people. We could try and do all sorts of programs that would have nothing to do with the mysteries of God, that would grow the church and get more money. But we're not about that here. Because when Jesus comes to you through his stewards, let's move on then, not to the stewards, but to the mysteries themselves He doesn't just give you what you want or what the market wants. He gives you what you need. It is nice to have nice things, to have lots of amenities in the church. And a lot of people treat the church that way. You've heard the term church shopping. But that's not what Jesus comes to bring you. He doesn't come to bring you today nice amenities and Things which people would look for when they go church shopping. He comes to bring you his gifts. He comes to bring you the whole counsel of God from his word. He comes to bring you today his water and holy baptism that you would remember who you are in him, washed of your sins. He comes to give out to you today from this altar, his body and blood. He comes to give you today absolution for your sins. He comes to give you today the preaching of his word, the teaching of his word. And you can see in the gospel how Jesus does this. Whenever Jesus goes to teach the crowds about John the Baptist, He points out specifically that when he gave them John the Baptist to prepare his way, he was giving them not what they wanted, but he was giving them what they needed. He says, what then did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. Everyone likes it to see whenever a guy kind of falls apart. It's a little bit sinfully entertaining. Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing like those that are in king's houses that are entertainers? No. I could have given you that. I could have given you something that would have been entertaining to you. But instead, I gave you John the Baptist. I gave you a prophet greater than all the prophets before him. I gave you 
a prophet more than a prophet. I gave you the one who would preach to you, even though he looked really weird, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts. I gave you the one you needed, the one who would preach to you repentance, the one who would prepare my way before me, the one whom Isaiah prophesied about so long ago. I didn't give you what you wanted. I gave you what you needed. And also for John himself, you can see that. John himself, when he's thinking, when he's in jail, thinking about Jesus as the Messiah, he's thinking, maybe this isn't the one that I was expecting. Because I wanted the one who was going to bring the repentance. I wanted the one who was going to lay the axe to the root of the tree like I preached about. And this guy's out there healing and performing miracles. And so Jesus says to him, go back. He says to John's disciples, go back and tell John what you see. The people are not getting what you wanted. That's true. But they're getting what they need. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the gospel is preached. Not what John wanted, but what John needed. Not what the people wanted, but what the people needed. Not a consumer culture, but a giving culture. Giving of perfect gifts. And so today, dear saints, he comes to you. This Advent, he comes to you to give you not what you want per se, but what you need. He comes to you with a pastor who is here to give you, to steward to you, the mysteries of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Not driven by the world, but driven by the word alone. And he comes to you today to bring to you maybe not what you want, maybe not to tell you that your sins are really not that bad or that it's okay to give in to the world's demands, but he comes to you with what you need, the forgiveness of sins, life, Salvation, his word, his sacraments, his water, his body, his blood to feed and to nourish you so that you can be today joyful. That's what this Sunday is actually all about. Gaudete Sunday. That means rejoice. I will say again to you, rejoice today for God has given you what you need. To him be all the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.